Hi, my name is John Kim, and I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth. I share my feelings and revelations. I believe in casual or clinical, and with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. I'm super, super excited about today's guest. I have her on for many reasons. One, proof of serendipity, meaning the way that we meant was... Man, it just, it, it was uh, kind of like finding a needle in a haystack. It was um, just very meant, very, um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not crying. It's just early in the morning and my throat is crying. I should be crying because it really is meaningful. Um, we met via email and the chances of us meeting and uh, her representing me and selling a book was really slim to none and it happened so effortlessly and this isn't because I feel like I'm, I'm talented or, or, or I don't even think it was because I feel like I'm lucky I just feel like it was meant it's one of those things where you look back and you're like oh it happened so seamlessly it was just meant to be so proof of serendipity and that our collisions sometimes uh, flawless seamless um, can change your life right and then the other reason is she's just, I mean, talk about no BS. She's like the most no BS uh, agent, book agent I've ever met. She's New York. She has an amazing story. And uh, I just I just love how raw and transparent she is. And uh, the final reason is she's just going to talk about what an agent looks for uh, with writers. And I know a lot of people who follow me are also bloggers and I just think it would just be um, very valuable and and she's going to shed lots of light and wisdom with that whole um, book industry through her perspective as an agent. Meet my book agent, Laura York. So uh, first, thank you for being on my podcast. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, and this is, uh, there's there's some serendipity here because the way that I met you, uh, by the way, I'm getting over the flu, so I may cough a few times. Uh, but the way that I met you was uh, listening to you on someone else's podcast. On uh, on um, Book Mamas, I guess. I don't remember. Yeah, and I remember, yeah. I remember listening to you and thinking, this sounds like an awesome agent. And I remember at the end, you were saying uh, uh, for people not to contact you because, you know, in your uh, – um, career you could count on one hand how many clients you've actually taken from 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 unsolicited you know emails and query letters and so i remember not contacting you for a while and then um after a while i was like fuck it i'm just gonna and i contacted you and i'm went, so glad you did <laughs> yeah and so that's how we met and i think a lot of people think that um i met you in in in, a, in kind of a conventional way and it was actually unconventional it was through the sky that is, that is, and it's, it's true. I mean, I really, I could count on one hand the amount of people that um, I represent who I've, I mean, I, this is very funny. I'm going out with a very big project tonight or tomorrow, and it's the first person that I've actually cold, not cold called, but cold emailed or whatever. Oh, wow. I know. And, um, so I'm very, I was so excited when I, when I, when I got a yes, you know, I'd like to talk to you. I was like, wow, it worked. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's just the universe. Um, yeah, I agree. It's the world that we live in today, you know, and, uh, you just never know. And so you should always try. 
I think you are completely right about that. And people will say that I'm I'm quite the optimist. And I, I actually don't think of myself that way one way or another. But I do think that you should always try. And it, certainly there's no reason not to. I mean, that's crazy. So um, I am very L.A., grew up in L.A. Uh, Laura is very New York. It's one of the things I loved about you is you just <laughs> seem like a – uh, no nonsense, no BS, uh, very New York. And, you know, New York is, is predominantly where the book business is, correct? Yes. Yes. I mean, there's some out in your, your neck of the woods, but most of it is here. Yeah, but, you know, I always imagined when I got my book agent, she would, she or he would be in New York, and that's where the, you know, that, those are where the big boardrooms are. Um, and so... <laughs> but isn't it ironic that your publisher is in L.A.? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just the way the, the world works. I also think that you have a very personal, interesting story, and that's another reason why I wanted you on my podcast. And we could talk about, yes. um, and we'll talk about, you know, the book world and your love for for, for books and where it's headed and all that. But um, let's start. Let's just let's rewind uh, many many years into uh, <laughs> New York. You were, I think, uh, early twenties. When did you get into the book business? I remember you were working for uh, Simon Schuster. No. Yes, I got into the book business pretty much right out of maybe a year right out of college. So in, yeah, in my early twenties, for sure. In the 19, late 1980s. Wow. And then what attracted you to the book business? What did you want to do in that world? Um, well, it was interesting in college. I was either going to, I mean, I wrote a novel for my dissertation, um, and my honors thesis, which I, it, I still have the letters from from publishers in New York who who read it and said you really should keep working on it like George Plimpton and the head of Norton and these people it was great, um, and I thought well I'm either going to do that or the other thing that I majored in and I loved was psychology, and I really thought about that but I was terrified of science and I thought I'm never going to make med school, so I just. I, you know, I, I got a job as, you know, an editorial assistant at a division of Simon and Schuster, which is long gone, not Simon and Schuster, this particular imprint. And I just, I hit the ground running. I mean, I just absolutely loved it. I mean, I knew obviously from writing a novel that I was very into to words and I, you know, read everything in the canon and blah, blah, blah. I also knew that I'm a depressive and that I should not be a, a, a novelist or a writer, you know, by default, just because I'd be alone too much of the time. I mean, ironically, now as a literary agent, I, I work from home most of the time. And since, you know, Harry has died and my kids are off in the world, um, or one of them is at school, I'm still alone most of the time. But that's, that's full circle in a, in a good way. Not a so wait, way. Are, are you, would you say you're an introvert or an extrovert? Such an interesting question. I think I'm both, just like I'm both compulsive and impulsive. People through the years would say that I'm an extrovert. My children would say, oh, right, like you, they made you be the social chairman of your sorority and you just happened to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, yeah, it's true. That really is the way it is. They don't, I don't appear to be an introvert, but the truth of the matter is I hate cocktail parties. I hate, as you know of me, I hate superficial crap. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, one thing I, I like about you. And I also, I'm the same way. And, um, yes, you, you certainly are. I, uh, you absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons we really get along because we're both really transparent. You know, that's, I told you that when I first met you, I said, geez, you know, I, I published and edited your book for my generation 
It was called Grow Up. And I said, now it's time for your generation. And it's a totally different, you're changing the game, John. I mean, I said that to you. I was like, you know, you have a new way. Your transparency in therapy or in coaching is so important and so on the mark and so the way things have got to go. Um, and so I, that's how I am. And I'm, I mean, I couldn't tell a lie if I wanted to. And sometimes it would be really nice to, but I can't, you know, I just simply can't. So I don't, cons- I mean, maybe that demeanor makes me seem extroverted, but there's a lot of me that does not feel extroverted at all. I mean, I just, I, 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 and now after I had a horrible accident, I'm half blind. So being in crowds is a nightmare. You know, I just, I can't do that either. So I don't know. I'm both. I, you know, I, I think that's what's refreshing is growing up in LA, especially uh, as a screenwriter, um, everyone was very fake and phony and there's a lot of superficial shit um, and you just had to play the game. And so right. um, when I discovered you, I just love the fact that you were blunt. Yes. My kids would, that's exactly what they'd call me. I was like, really? Is that the way to describe me blunt? <laughs> maybe, it is. Maybe, maybe that was a little too blunt of me to call you blunt. No, no, that's the way we are. But I, that's very funny. I'll tell them, you know, one of my favorite authors thinks I'm blunt too. <laughs> you and probably a million of my, my, my past and present authors, but there you so, have it. So early twenties, you're, um, at an imprint at Simon, uh, Schuster, you, uh, uh, now, um, I'm assuming kind of working yourself up the ladder or what are you doing there? Yes. Well, that, that in itself is an interesting personal story is I was working up the ladder. And in fact, I became the youngest editor. I switched divisions and went into Simon Schuster proper, which is still there. Um, well then I went, I went actually first to another division working for an editor as like an, in, as a mid-level editor, working for a senior editor at Simon and Schuster proper um, and then we moved to a different imprint. But anyway, when I first went to work for him as an editor, and I was the youngest editor at SNS by over a decade. And so I was, you know, in there buying books and, and, and making my way really working for this other editor. Wait, like, was it, was it, like, was it intimidating at that age? Cause everyone's 10 years yes, older than you. Yes, it was. I mean, and going into editorial boards as the youngest person, and they'd never let someone like me do that before. So it was, it was very, very new. Like all the editors in there were senior editors. And here I am an editor, you know, who is helping. I mean, I'm, I'm making my way by editing books for this other senior editor who, you know, had so many books and was, and, and, the, and a couple of senior editors did have that. They had, you know, a, a mid-level person working with them Two two people, actually this one person and, and one other, um, but I was the the only one of us that went to editorial board and it was wildly intimidating. Um, but the other thing that happened because of that is I would go to sales conference and I had so many friends and it was such a, it was during the, the, the heyday of publishing. It was kind of like the last hurrah. It was so much fun. And I mean, John, in those days, I'm talking pre email, right? <laughs> this, this is the eighties, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, you would hang out at the Xerox machine until midnight with uh, people's assistants because you would Xerox, you know, X amount of copies of, of whatever manuscript you wanted to buy and then you would be giving it to all the editors, right? So in the process of all of this, the chairman of the company um, set his sights on me and he he is a 
horrible, horrible human being. And I should have paid far more attention to Harville Hendrix's books because I quite literally ended up marrying my parents. I mean, quite literally. It was truly pathological. He was 30 years older than me. And everybody was saying, don't you can never marry him. Well, just don't do this. But I, I literally married my mother and my father. Um, which, and which, which many of us do. Exactly. But it really was so pathological. Now, I have two amazing, amazing sons from that marriage. And I would do it again to have my children. Um, but thank God, I also got out of it after 15 years. And I knew that he would try to kill me. Um, and he's done everything in his power. And in fact... As of today, I found out I'm probably going to have to go to court with him yet again for, I think, the sixth time. I mean, it's he's 86. <laughs> it just doesn't stop. Um, and he has no relationship with any of his children. He has grandchildren he doesn't know. I mean, it's it's crazy. But anyway, you know the story from that. I, I then went on and found the love of my life, which, you know, was a miracle. So did, did you? how did you uh, switch from being an editor to agenting? That is funny. I was working for a woman who you, because of L.A., may well know, uh, Judith Regan. Have you ever heard of her? Well, she... But I love, her, I love that we're dropping names. That's awesome. Well, she, she, is, she is notoriously insane. Um, and she made her way up to the National Enquirer, and she was wildly successful. And she got fired from HarperCollins because she was publishing OJ's book and she did um, a TV show on it and seemed incredibly sympathetic towards him. And that was the end of her. But at any rate, I was working as her editor at large. And I had said going into it, cause I had two little kids and I said, I won't be here every day. My then husband had been fired by, from, by Sumner Redstone from Simon and Schuster at that point and had bought golden books, you know, the like Pat the bunny publisher. And I'd started an adult, an adult trade division there, and I didn't go in every day, and I ran the division. So I said to this woman, Judith Regan, look, um, I won't be there every day, so don't expect me, but I will – and she – agents hated her. So I was supposed to be, you know, the one who would – you know, because agents liked me, and I'd had a you know, history. I'd gone from SNS to Putnam, and anyway. So um, I came to work one day. It was – Dick had been, it was like a man in full Tom Wolf's book. He was beholden to the, the, the bankers and the shareholders. And he came out to the country in a rage and I was there with the kids and I came in the next day and my desk had been moved out of my office and was set up in the hallway. <laughs> and I was like, is she trying to fire me? And so I went down to, to HR and I just said, look, since I've been here, 13 people have either quit or been fired from either her imprint or her radio show. And she's in default of our contract in like these five ways. And I'm not going anywhere until I get out of my contract properly. And so I waited, you know, four months. It was crazy. And finally I said, look, I've been such a lady about this. And everybody was calling to hear the Judith versus Laura story. I mean, everybody like Jeanette Walls had a TV show then she, I mean, everybody, she was, said, she was putting you in timeout, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I just said, look, I haven't, I haven't talked to anybody, but if I'm not out of this contract by the end of the week, I'm going to talk to everybody. So sure enough, I was out of the contract by the end of the week. So that left me, back to your question, I got out of my contract with her, and I was like, okay, I had her during the day, and I had him, my husband, my ex-husband, at night, and I was like, what? 
is wrong with this picture? Because they were so similar. And so I just thought, I'm just going to get out of this business. I'm going to get divorced. <laughs> I'm going to get out of this business. And Carol Mann, whose agency you are a part of now, said to me, look, Laura, you know, you're one of the brightest editors of your generation. And if you just come and do editorial, you know, bring things in, I'll do the business side of it and we'll split commission. And I said, great. Sounds great. Wait, is this before and Carol Mann had her agency? No, she had it. She had it. And so she just said, basically, come on board as an agent. And since that was, you know, almost, I don't know, that was like 17 years ago. So since then, obviously, I do the business side, too. But I went in that way. And then before I did that, um, my little guy was so little and he was a preemie, thanks to my ex-husband. That's a whole other story. And so his sensory integration therapist wanted me to write a book with her. And Carol and one of my closest friends, who's an agent, were like, Laura, just shut up and write the book yourself. And I was like, fine. So I wrote that book and McGraw-Hill published it. And then I started agenting for Carol. And I and I agent I always agented from my home because I wanted to be home when the boys came home from school, because, you know, even if I was working, mommy was home, you know, and congratulations to you. I can't wait to hear when yours comes around. We're talking quite soon. Yes. Any any like two weeks, any day now. Oh, my God, John, you've got to tell me right away. That's so exciting. It might be during it might be during this call. We'll see. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, so much love to you both on that. That's just so exciting. So from from agenting, um, now, and since then, that was 17 years ago, roughly, um, you've been an agent since, right? Yes. And how is that journey for you? Do you love it? Are there days that you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Um, how is it different than, you know, the, the other chapters of uh, being an editor? And also, you, you also write and stuff on the side, too, no? Yes. Um, I'm ghostwriting a book right now for someone, and I... Like I, you know, I started Jody Pico's career, but I don't, I don't represent fiction as an agent because it's just, I hate representing it. It just takes forever and it's so hard. But memoirs is one of the things that I love most, both that I love most publishing and that I love most representing. So that's as next to fiction, that's the second hardest thing to do, but I, I do love it. And again, just like impulsive, compulsive, internal, external, introvert, extrovert, um, I both love it and there are days when I'm just going, you know, what the fuck am I doing? What what should I doing? But here's the bottom line on it. I feel I've always been told that I was a healer and I'm like, how am I a healer? And I think the way that I am is that I help people tell their stories. Oh, I love that. And, and that's what I do, whether I'm writing, editing or agenting. And as an agent, as you well know, because I had so many years on the other side of the fence, I'm very, very vested in the editorial work of my clients in terms of both their proposals and making sure that they're really just right, you know, and spot on. And then I work as hard as I can to make the best marriage between editor um, and, and writer. And then I, to the extent that authors want me to, I stay involved in the editorial process of their book. And, you know, I have a great relationship with the editors. And I mean, it, it's that's all fun and it's exciting. And, you know, I have exciting things going on right now. I mean, it's 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 good there. There's the weirdest part of it, I think, is you have no control over your schedule. You know, it takes over itself. And that's just really hard. I mean, like right now, I'm 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 busier than I'd like to be. 
three weeks ago, I would have said I'm less busy than I'd like to be. Right, right. It's it's very feast or famine. It is. It's very feast or famine. One story that I love quickly is that the first, well, the first book I represented was Willow Bay's because she's a friend of mine. The second book that I represented was my soulmates. Um, and I had called him in this period when I was quitting Judith Regans and I was going to get divorced and I barely knew him, but I said, um, can we meet? I'm thinking of getting out of this profession altogether and going back to, to school to get a degree in neuropsychology. He's a doctor, was a doctor. And he said, yes, I'm thinking of writing a book. Can, can I talk to you about that? And I said, yes. And long and short of it is I ended up representing him and his co-author and the book has sold three and a half million copies and it's in 28 different languages and it's called Younger Next Year. And um, the second edition, because it's 15 years old, the only thing that needed to be changed was neuro because there's so much more about the brain we need. And so basically when he wrote the book, there weren't studies backing up everything he said. And so now I had a neurosurgeon write new chapters that basically just continue to validate what his rules were. So that just came out. And that's just a nice story. Where did you know? I where did I hear? And you could also uh, uh, not confirm, uh, confirm or deny. But I, I heard somewhere that you represented the real Aaron Brogovich. I do represent Aaron Brogovich. Oh, you do? okay, yeah, and, that, and I think because I, I think that was on the podcast, and that's why I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And I was like, oh, she is so interesting, and I love her. And her book is coming out in August, the end of August. It's on water, and it's called Superman's Not Coming. So it's for everybody, you know, she's a consumer advocate and it's all about getting people to take charge of their lives. And in this case, their water and not relying on politicians, not, you know, just to not go to those places. And at the same time, there is um, a TV show called Rebel that's going to air in September, which she's the executive producer on, which is it's like the movie in the sense it's based on her life and all the work that she currently does. I mean, Aaron is literally around the country 24 seven dealing with crises. I mean, she's called everywhere. She has this map of the country where she shows cancer clusters and backtracks them to find out where the water's been bad and where they come from. I mean, it's crazy. Still, huh? So Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. And she's beautiful and funny and really smart. She's great. That's awesome. So, um, yeah. The other thing that happened to you personally uh, was that you fell off a horse. <laughs> that is one of the things that happened to me personally, physically. I am, I'm getting to be pretty bionic. I am. Um, well, well I'm, that's my way into um, the spiritual side of you because that's also a uh, side that I connect to. Yeah. It wasn't just you falling off a horse, but it was the, the, <laughs> the, the, the journey of that, you know. Yes. Um, I fell off a horse and I didn't, I, I was in a coma. Um, and I, because of that, Harry thought not, not, not because it, it made things happen exponentially quicker. So I've had both of my knees replaced. I've had a hip replaced. Um, I'm half blind and, and that is directly from, you know, neurologically from the accident. It's not my eye. Um, and then last year I shattered my lower leg skiing. So <laughs> I have, I have metal plates and 12 metal screws in my leg. And that spiritually was probably the most interesting thing because when I found out what had happened on the slope, it was, I was skiing and it was, an, again, it was like, it was a nothing fall from the horse. It was a nothing ski fall, but my binding didn't release. 
And I sat there and I was like, Harry, that's my soulmate. Really? I have to go through another one of these? Like, if I have to do this again, just next time, just you can let me die, okay? Because I really don't want to do this again. And what I realized, I mean, I literally couldn't put any weight on my leg for three months, any. So I was sitting on my butt working for three months on the couch. And I really had to learn about patience and acceptance. I just think you are nowhere in your life if you can't embrace those things and and love yourself while doing so. And I've never been good at that because I was married to who I was married to and had the parents I had. Mm. But my choices are mine, you know, so that becomes irrelevant. You know, you've got to work towards being kind to yourself. And I've always been incredibly empathic. Um, That's just part of who I am, which goes... I don't know if it goes with being incredibly direct and blunt, but it works because I'm I'm also as loyal a friend and a partner as you could ever imagine. You sent me a T-shirt that said compassion across the top. What does that mean gratitude. to you? Oh, gratitude. Oh, sorry. Gratitude. Sorry. I, guess, <laughs> I have a few T-shirts. Uh, gratitude. <laughs> uh, what, what, does, what does gratitude mean? mean uh, why that word? What does that mean to you? Because I really think I have so much to be grateful for. I mean, I, I'm very much as of an optimist. I mean, as we said, I look at the glass as half full and I'm a survivor, you know, so I'm not sitting there bitter and negative and thinking about all these bad things that have happened. I'm thinking about how lucky I am first and foremost for my children. Second of all, that I found the love of my life. I found my soulmate. Most people never do. And even though he was only on earth for 15 years, we had those years together. And what he gave me and what he gave to my children, I'm so grateful for. And I'm so grateful for my work. I'm so grateful that I'm really good at what I do. And I really do help people. And it makes them really happy. And that makes me really happy. Yeah, I love it. And guys, if you are looking for an agent, make sure he or she is not a pessimist. Because <laughs> I think um, the the way that uh, you see the world and also you being an optimist and seeing the glass as half full, uh, that's, those are characteristics you want in your uh, agent and people who represent you because what, yes. if not, they're not going to be able to uh, see, the, see what's possible or what could be in you know, deals and contracts and all of that stuff and, and projects. Uh, if you see someone with doubt, if, if someone with doubt represents you, that's, such a, that's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to advance your career at all. No, it, it's true. And in fact, where people, I mean, obviously I see you know things all day from people. I mean, everybody does, agents everywhere. And if I don't think that I can be truly passionate about a project and really work with it and do something, I'll say that straight up front. You know, like I'm, I'm not the person you want representing you because it just, you know, there is no point. You've, I've got to really feel it. And, um, and then I'll just, I'll work, I'll work endlessly Yeah, yeah. To, to get it done. How do you think the book business has changed uh, from the eighties, from the heyday to now and digital and internet and all of that? Oh, it's changed in so many, so many sad ways. Um, which isn't okay. The positive thing is books will be here to stay. There will always be books. There may not always be print papers, newspapers, and many magazines, but there will always be books. So that's that. But um, the digital marketplace changed um, our, you know, our financial model completely. 
which was ne is negative for authors and agents, which is not to say that there aren't authors that still get huge advances. Um, they do, but it's much, much fewer and farther between. And the biggest thing that I tell all of my authors is it used to be, I mean, look, it used to be when I was just starting out at SNS, I could like do a tap dance on the, on the boardroom table, not literally, but you know, metaphorically. And, and they'd say, good, fine. I was like, I love this. I love this. And they'd say, great, go buy the book. Now you're only, you know, they're not going to look at you. No publisher is going to look at you unless you've got a platform, mm -hmm. you've got major social media. And if not that, or in addition to that, you're as good as the last book, how many books sold of your last book? How many copies? And, you know, your next advance will be based on that, which is why, you know, James Patterson has an entire industry now. I mean, that's how it works. And the other thing, which is so sad, is that I used to tell, I mean, it used to be, I, I'd love something, I'd be passionate, I'd be allowed to buy it. Oh, right. And then the authors, we, you know, we would say, this is how we're going to promote your book. This is, this is how we're going to sell your book. And now I honestly feel, and I, and I still love publishers and editors. I mean, I love them. Clearly, I wouldn't be doing this. But I feel like they're all saying to authors, what are you going to do to sell your book? Like, if you don't have ways, if I, if I feel like if I can't tell a publisher three bullets about how and why this book is going to sell and what the author can do for it, they're not going to be interested. Yeah. I appreciate the um, cold, uh, I wouldn't say cold, but just the honest uh, uh, look into that world because I think a lot of people listening, these are the, the, the they want to know this stuff. You know, they want to know what it's yeah, like. Yeah, they should. They They should because it... You know, as I said, I don't, I don't lie. And, and that really is, editors are still completely passionate about their books. They are. I mean, it's, it's, and publishers are too, but the financial model has shifted so dramatically. Um, and first through, you know, eBooks, but also just the internet in general, as I said, I mean, I, you know, when I first started, there wasn't even email. I mean, God, we copied and pasted things forever. Oh, my God, with the typewriters. But, um, you know, now it's very, it's it's much more difficult to find out how to reach different markets because there's so many. They're so dispersed. And, you know, it's everybody's quandary and everybody's problem. And that's that's very real. And the other thing, I mean, one thing, like Amazon who is, you know, very much a culprit um, in, in, in this book story. At the same time, I will say that they're doing original publishing of fiction that's mostly e-fiction, but that can really break out. And do I sell to them? Do I like them? No. I mean, that's against the principles of what I do. But, but speaking to the people listening to your podcast, would I go to Amazon if you can't you know, easily get yourself to an agent who wants to do X, Y, and Z with your work? Yeah, I would, because you really do have a shot there. And that's far better than just self-publishing for the sake of self-publishing with, you know, say, um, Ingram Spark. Because, I mean, yes, you can pay for certain levels of promotion and publicity and marketing, but if again, if you don't have an audience built in, if you don't have a way to sell your book, 
publishing, self-publishing isn't going to create it for you. Right, right. How, so let me ask you this. Um, and there's a lot of people listening who are writers and who are bloggers and all of that. How do you know when to uh, self-publish something or when to pursue uh, representation and agent and try to try to sell your book? That's such an interesting question. I remember getting into not a fight with Harry, but a, a bickering thing early on. He was like, well, why do I need an agent now? I mean, you know, the book, you know, because I, I, from a marketing point of view, after they wrote Younger Next Year, I said, guys, okay, now you're going to write Younger Next Year for women. And it was, I mean, it was just a marketing thing. I said, obviously, that's what you do next. And then there were two guys. So I, I asked Gail Sheehy to write the foreword, you know, the introduction, and she did. So that book's done, you know, really just as well. But he said, like, why do I need one? And I got so mad at him. And I said, because it's a relationship business, mm. which it is, you know, I mean, so if you and I have this conversation with different people, not a lot, but it, it is a good question to ask, because if, in fact, you have a built in audience and you know the size of it and you know that you can reach them, then if you self-publish, you will make a lot more money. I mean, I, I know and, I know people on social media who make ten grand a month just on one book through self. Well, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's I mean, if you've got the audience and you don't care about having, you know, the Simon and Schuster's of the world, you know, on your spine, then that is the thing to do. And one of the things that I've always been very interested in about publishers is I've never understood why we haven't gone more in the direction of having traditional imprints whose financial model mirrors self-publishing more. There was one imprint at HarperCollins that did that for a nanosecond, and then it folded along with a number of imprints there at the same time. But meaning, instead of giving authors a big advance, why not give them a small advance up front but give them a much, much bigger stake in their royalties. I mean, to me, that just seems like it's like stupid for publishers not to do that. I, I don't understand how everybody that, that's not a win win for everybody. Well, they make less money. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, but yeah. Yes, but they also are they're they're doling out a lot less money. So but I mean, I would imagine, John, that there are people at all of those places, all of the big five who've sat there with their P&Ls and have thought about this endlessly. And you're right. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, there must be some formula that says we're still going to make more money if we do it traditionally. I mean, I have to think because otherwise. I, you know, I think, but, I think for me, the answer, uh, one of the, the my go-to is if you just want to focus on money and, and yes, you need a big platform and you need to be able to convert followers and all that. Then yes, you can self-publish. Uh, you have full control of that, and you know you make most of the the book's profit. But if you want to uh, use the book as a ticket onto couches, uh, talk shows, as a, use the yep. you know if you want, um, I, yep. I guess like street, street cred. Yeah, if you want yeah. to build relationships, so you, you need the contacts of the contacts of your publisher. And also, you would say in your case, which I I love, and again, this makes me know that I've done a good job. Is you and your editor love each other? Yeah, Hillary's amazing. I mean, she's going to be on my podcast. Have a great time. Yeah, and and by the way, she's she's pretty much the first. Um, although I mean, technically she's a second, but she's 
she's one of the the first when it comes to you know the heavy hitters uh, uh harper one being the imprint of harper collins uh working in with with that size of a company uh my my first editor and it's been so easy that and i'm not just saying that because i'm you know it's mentioning her name it's been so easy that i'm I don't know what it feels like to have a difficult uh, process. Well, and nor and John, I don't think you ever will because the you know you know, we went around town, we talked to a bunch of people, you spent time, and that's that's part of what I do with with someone who has your potential is you know I try and make sure that we get the right fit. And you are such an easy. I mean, I would I'm talking as Hillary now. You're such an easy author to work with. I mean, you're so fast, you're so clean, you're so good. So you make her life easy. And, you know, I mean, didn't she, didn't we just get, didn't she accept symbol? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I, I mean, I, mean <laughs> I, 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 I thought that when you write books, you go through multiple drafts and it takes a, like, you know, half a Most year. Most people do. And Most like, people do. I just, I'm saying. I just turn in one or two drafts. It's like, all right, we're printing it. We're ready. And I'm like, oh, okay. Awesome. This, but that, this is that's easy. so rare. That for all your audience out there, that's very rare. That doesn't happen. And I mean, for people that are writing biographies, you know, they'll have a one-year contract or a two-year contract. And all of a sudden we're getting amendments for another three, three or four more years, please. Or, you know, I mean, and that's just because of the research they have to do. But I mean, I had an author today who was just like, you know, my deadline was February 1st, but I really need another couple months. And I'm like, that's, and that's not a problem. You know, that's not a big deal. When it starts getting into, I need another year, and that was completely unexpected, and that happens towards the end of the deadline, that can be a problem. And it can be a real problem. And I, I was talking to one of my authors about somebody who's not my author, but that, that this had happened to, is the publisher, you know, canceled his book because of it. I mean, they used it as an excuse. And I said, well, you know, whoever so-and-so's agent is has done a crappy job because that's just, I mean, I wouldn't let the publisher get away with that. It's not like they'd given copious notes and said, we're having this problem and this is how you can try and fix it. It was just like, oh no, well, you know, we just don't have any more time. We're just, you know, we're just, we're just going to cancel it. Yeah. I and that's just not fair. I take deadlines very seriously. And I know the process of the book, you know, uh, from from idea or selling the book to actual uh, holding in your hand, I mean, it, it's like uh, like making a movie. It's a big it's a big process. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchens and in the kitchen, and there's also you know the cover and teams. And once you right. once you write the book, you're just passing the baton, and it goes through the factory, and that takes a lot of time. Well, I always refer to it, and I'm thinking more in terms of time. For a standard book, it's like having a baby. I mean, it is one kind of baby. It's not a human baby, but it is a baby, and it takes about 10 months from the time it goes into production to the time it comes out. I mean, you can crash books now. I mean, when I first started, you couldn't, you know, because you, there was no digital anything. But, um, you know, it is it is like having a child, and you're right. I mean, the difference is it's not you and, and one person making that child. It is you and your editor, but then my God, the people that get involved, you know, from, from sales, marketing, publicity, advertising, you know, it's, it's all over the place, which is good. I mean, and when you have a great company like you do, then they can make good things happen. Yeah. It becomes bigger right. than you. And I think that's what makes it exciting, right. you know? Um, so yeah, if you want that whole experience, definitely publishing is the way to go. Uh, if, right. if you, if you have a huge, uh, social media audience and you know, you can convert and you just want to make money, 
than exactly. self-publishing self music. Well, not only make money, but if you want full control, of course, then that's well, yeah, self-publishing. But, but it really is. It's like, I mean, if you have, you know, Soul Cycle, they were going to do a book, and it's a long story. They didn't. But, I mean, they could have self-published and just sold the book in all of their Soul Cycle. And, you know, they could have done it. They did, chose not to do that, but they could have. I mean, that's an example, you know. But that's not what they wanted. Um, anyway, it ended up not happening. Yeah, but. it depends on what your goals are. Yeah. So what do you think about the explosion of self-help books? I think that you're at the forefront of that. And um, I think that it had to change. And it was time. Um, because, I mean, I published so many of them, you know. And, and then that whole industry just kind of died. You know, it just sort of dried up. And I think it's come back because of transparency and because they're hybrid memoirs now. They're different ways of looking at um, self-help. I mean, even Younger Next Year, it's not a self-help book in that it's not one prescription after the next. There are Harry's rules, but it's, it's a narrative, you know, and it's written by a doctor and a patient. And that's the way that books are written now and the way that self-help is written has totally changed the game. I agree. And it's also what's happening, uh, you know, uh, as far as life coaching and therapists and just the wellness in, in general, the tone has yeah. changed where I think in the eighties it was, um, people coming at you and now it's uh, people coming with you. Exactly. Very well said. Exactly. Yes. And that's what you'd think people would want. And, th and they do as it turns out. So, yeah. And maybe that's, maybe that's why my email captured your eye you saw this uh, Korean therapist um, being vulnerable. No, it, t it totally was. I mean, everything about you, I was like, wow, this is for me, and maybe you weren't the first, but for me, you really were. And I was like, this is brand new. This is a total change in the zeitgeist. This is the way things are going to go. And I want this guy to be on my team. Well, thank you for answering that email. It, um, was, it was, <laughs> Thank you for sending it. <laughs> it was the the first domino in um, man, uh, 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 just a uh, so many new experiences on my journey. Yeah, and also just uh, the, even the experience of coming to New York and um, going to those pitch meetings with you. Right. I mean, all that was so exciting. That is really fun. That is always a fun thing. I mean, I'm about to send something out where I think we're going to have, you know, four days of meetings and I'm, I'm, you know, preparing my author, like, this is what it's going to be like, and this is what you'll expect. And if I look at you like this, and this is what I'm think me thinking and you know the same things I told you. So what so. do you, what do you look for in an author? I think the, it's not the, the first thing I look for the, in them, but the first thing that comes to mind is somebody who's not going, I want to be published by so-and-so or so-and-so. That I'm just not interested in. I, I want to help someone who has a message they feel passionate about. And I would like, they need to be open to me helping them structure their work or help them. Obviously, I look for someone who has a very important message. And usually those are social messages or meaning not social media, but like, you know, in terms of social good, social worth, um, psychology, neuro neuropsychology, neurology, um, memoir, again, as I said, I mean, the only thing that I don't do is in terms of nonfiction really is politics. I just, I don't feel that I'm educated enough. 
And really my life, I'm a dilettante, you know, I know, I mean, a little bit about a lot of different things. Um, and that's what my job does. It's a constant education. So I look for me. So I look for people that I can communicate well with, um, who have a message that I find really important in, in whatever way that it is and that I can feel that I can really help, you know, and obviously somebody who is a bad writer, I can't help. I mean, that goes without saying. Well, do you, you know? th- do you think writers are good writers are, are born or do you think uh, uh, writing is something, a craft that can be learned? Well, I think you're, you're born with your voice. And I think that, you know, your writing extends from your voice. It is your voice. You can learn how to work with it and make it better for sure. But if you don't have, you know, an initial voice that's a strong voice, you're going to be in trouble. And look, there are definitely times, many times, when I've found somebody whose idea is wonderful, but who really can't write. And I'll say, I think this is a really worthy project, but you need to have a writer. Mm. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Just depends on what they want. What is next for Laura York? I don't know, John. I really don't know. <laughs> on purpose, you don't That's know. A, you don't want to no, know. I know. I I seriously don't. I wish I did, but like I'm just trying. I'm literally just trying to be present and go. It's all good, you know. It's all good, and I don't know. I suspect quite a lot of stuff is up this year. I have a feeling that this is going to be a very meaningful year. I don't know what that means. <laughs> do you, I really don't. Do you see yourself in the, the, the book business? I mean, is, this is... Oh, it. sure. No, I mean, I have I have two major books, Aaron's being one of them, that are coming out in the fall. I'm, I have three major books that I'm selling right now, and then a book that I'm ghostwriting right now and a lot of other things I'm selling. I mean, it's no, I think, I think in the industry, industry wide, I think it's going to be a very big year for me, um, which is exciting. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's fun. That's really nice. Um, and in terms of the rest of my life, who knows my youngest son's graduating from college. So that will be happening. I'm going to Peru in June with Alberto Vieldo, who you may know, um, he started the light body school and he is a shaman, and I'm going to Peru with him and probably a hundred other people um, to spend six days with the Peruvian shamans. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, I'm really, and I'm, you know, so I'm going to be learning a lot about um, more than I know about energy work, and you know, taking some courses in energy work. So that's going to that's going to be added to my plate. Yeah, I love that um, because when you think about an agent, you think a lot of left brain, you think a lot of skimming contracts and, and deals. Um, but, you know, the way that you live your life is, is not just that, um, but it's very three-dimensional. I mean, doing energy work and hanging out with shamans and all of that, you know, so. Yeah, you know, I the thing that I like least about my job, I mean, by far the least, is negotiating deals. I mean, it's just not, I mean, whereas like Carol, man, that's her favorite thing to do. And one of the things that have made us such a great team for all these years is my editorial input because that's that's what I'm interested in, you know. Editing is is my passion, you know. Always will be. Deal making is not. I do it well, and you know I'm I'm glad that I've learned to be able to do that. But you know, it's 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 not what lights a fire under me, you know. How long you've been in New York in your entire life, pretty much, right? Entire life, born and raised. Yep. And so this is the other thing that we kind of have in common, but don't is I've been in uh, L.A. my entire life, 
and uh, I'm very LA, you're very New York. And what's happening is there's a lot of people leaving New York, and I think it's a generational thing, and they're all coming to LA, and it's making the cost of living uh, horrific and the traffic crazy. <laughs> and I feel I'm like it's sorry. like all it's all the 30-year-olds that you know uh, went to New York in their 20s, and they're uh, living like sardines, and now they want uh, kale in the backyard, and they're all coming here. <laughs> well, I think I'm very sorry about that blame us New Yorkers. But I mean, it's so expensive and crazy living here. And the thing that the most healing balm for me is nature, which it is for God knows so many people. I mean, I think you included. And I think that I, um, at some point in my life, I don't know when, not this year, but I, I think I very possibly will move out West, not your West, do not worry. Um, <laughs> but like Santa Fe, you know, that kind of West, because for me, Red Rock is, that's my sacred space. I mean, I just, I love that land so much. And Santa Fe is very cultured. And now I can do my job from anywhere. Oh, yeah. You know, sure. it doesn't yeah. matter. Right. So, um, and if I did it out there and I had to come in and do meetings, I'd fly in and do meetings. You know, I'll always have, I'll always have a place in New York. You know, I'll always have some kind of foothold here. But I can imagine getting out. Well, guys, uh, this is my agent, Laura York, and uh, thank you so much for not only being on my podcast, but just being real. I know you would just be you, and uh, I think so many people appreciate that. What would be one um, last, uh, uh, I don't know, advice you can give to up-and-coming bloggers, writers, people on social media, people microblogging, people that want to um, publish a book? Uh, or, or you know, uh, uh, self-publish, it doesn't matter. But what would you give uh, as far as advice to any writer? Persistence and tenacity. Do not give up. If you really want to do it, do it. You know, I'm, you a, know? I'm a great, great example of that. I mean, in my 20s, I felt like I failed as a screenwriter, put that aside. Right. And then going through a divorce, I started blogging for me, no one else. And then I never knew that I would suddenly published self-help books. I had no idea. Right. And look, and you just, you, it was in you and it kept, you know, going, John, John, and you listened. So, you know, blossoming authors need to listen to themselves. They need to listen to what's inside. Pay attention. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Thank you, Laura, for your time. Oh, John, thank you. So great to talk to you. 